0: Good morning, good to be with you again. And um, we're going to continue our series of Windows into God's Kingdom. And our reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. And this is what we read. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I know, congregation, that you are not looking for a new lead pastor. That Bill Veenster and I are simply filling in for Jenna while she learns that it's even tougher being a mother than a pastor. But imagine that you were looking for a lead pastor. And if you were... I wonder and I want you to think carefully before you respond the temptation will be to give what you think is the right answer but I wonder if Jesus applied for the position would you vote in favor of calling him? you may be thinking that's a silly question maybe even a little sacrilegious but in light of what a lot of church growth experts tell us is important, it is a good question to think about. You see, so much of the job of being a pastor, many people suggest, depends on making it easy for people to come to church, rewarding for them to stay. The important thing is you need to create a safe caring environment where people believe their concerns will be heard and their needs will be met. Find out what people are looking for and give it to them so that they decide to stay put in your church rather than continuing to shop for a church down the street. The problem with Jesus, today's scripture being a clear case in point, is that far from making it easier for people to follow him, he always seems to be pointing out how hard it is. Three times in relation to three short parables about a builder who has to be sure he's got what he needs to finish a project before he begins, about a king who has to be sure he's got the resources he needs to defend his kingdom before he sets out To meet the enemy, and about salt that is useful only if it remains salty three times, Jesus minces no words about the cost of following him. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Cannot. We call this one of the hard sayings of Jesus. And here's how we usually understand it that Jesus will never accept us as his disciples unless we get our act together. We hear these words as barriers that Jesus puts up to our being allowed to follow him, as conditions he lays down for you and I to be included among his disciples. You cannot be my disciple unless you, you hate unless you carry a cross, unless you give up everything you cannot. But here's the problem in making Jesus the problem. This goes against everything we know about the scandalous, outrageous grace we hear about in so many of his parables and throughout the Gospels. The truth is, this so-called hard saying is meant by Jesus to set you free. Listen very carefully, and you begin to see that the three cannots are not from Jesus' side, but from ours. Not, I won't let you be my disciple unless you hate, carry the cross, and give up, but... Don't you see? Unless you hate, unless you carry that cross, unless you give up everything, you are preventing yourselves from following me. The difference is crucial. It is not Jesus setting up barriers to following him. It is you and I not removing barriers we have set up to following him. It is a matter of our willingness or not to stop making all the other claims upon our lives more important than that of Jesus. It is about our willingness or not to stop wanting to follow someone or something else but Jesus. It is about our willingness or not to let go of other loyalties that we put in the way of experiencing the sort of intimacy and relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that makes life in the kingdom of God a feast. Jesus means to help us build well, win the battle, be salt, that is, be free to follow him rather than be enslaved to lesser gods of our own making. See, the fact is, we all follow someone or something. Every person in this room, every person in the world, is a disciple of somebody or something. Every person in this room, every person in the world, has someone or something to which we give our ultimate loyalty. Loyalty. In his 1979 Grammy Award-winning song, Gotta Serve Somebody, Bob Dylan wrote these lyrics. I'm not gonna sing it. You may call me Terry, you may call me Jimmy, you may call me Bobby, you may call me Zimmy, you may call me RJ, you may call me Ray, you may call me anything, but no matter what you say, you're gonna have to serve somebody Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. The human race, as a recent Oxford University study, most recent, again confirmed, is inherently, is incurably religious. Every human being serves some sort of master, something or someone to whom we give ultimate allegiance. That is the way we are made. The question is whose disciple are you? Jesus, creator, savior, Lord of all, came to call us and all people to be his disciples. To know the fullness and joy and freedom of being in relationship with the creator and God who made us just for that purpose. He wants it so much, he was willing to die on a cross to make it possible. But how can you be my disciples, citizens of the kingdom of God, says Jesus, unless and until you come to terms with all the other claims you have in your life? The amazing thing is that Jesus says all this, writes Luke, not to those who had already made a clear decision to get serious about following Him, but to the large crowds traveling with him, to, to people that church growth experts refer to as seekers, just the sort of people you ought to be attracting with safe and caring environment, or filling your needs, kind of messages. But no, as always Jesus, Is brutally honest. You cannot be my disciple unless you hate. You cannot be my disciple unless you carry a cross. You cannot be my disciple unless you give up everything. That's just how it is. But he's not really suggesting that we literally hate our loved ones, is he? Hate my mom? Come on. That we really need literally to get up all we have, that he literally wants us to walk around carrying a cross on our shoulders. How is any of that supposed to be freeing or liberating? Okay, so let's think about those three cannots for a few moments, one at a time. First, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In light of the fifth commandment that we honor our father and mother, in light of Jesus' command to his disciples on the night he was betrayed, that as I have loved you, so you must love one another, he clearly does not mean by hate what we usually mean by hate. To hate, rather, is a Middle East way of saying to love less. And so Matthew's version of this saying of Jesus reads like this. Anyone who loves his father or mother, his son or daughter, more than me is not worthy of me. And yet, Jesus means something more than a love that is just relatively stronger for him than for family and friends. For one thing, the word hate says that our family, our loved ones, no longer have final authority Over our lives. Now, that was a pretty radical, extreme thing to say in a Middle Eastern patriarchal society that was built around the absolute authority of a father in a family. In certain cultures and religions today, it is still the father who dictates how and when the children believe how they live until the day the father dies. Remember the case of 18-year-old Rahaf al Kunan from a couple of years ago? She barricaded herself in a hotel room in Thailand after renouncing Islam and fleeing her family in Saudi Arabia to avoid being put to death. She is now, of course, safe in Canada. In other cultures, the mother has that kind of authority. One missionary described how a young Filipino man was eager to learn about the Christian faith and and clearly sensed Jesus calling him to follow me. But he told the missionary he could not respond as Jesus asked, well, why not? His answer was, And he was 33 years old. His answer was, his mother had not given him permission. In a culture like that, this is a liberating word. A word that says the only permission you need to follow Jesus is Jesus' permission. The same is true in the culture in which we live. It is so easy to let family or friends take the place in our lives that belongs only to Jesus. But my father is my father. He's not my Lord. My mother is my mother. She's not my Lord. Of course, I look to parents for advice and guidance, but they do not have the final word in my life. That belongs to Jesus. Nor do I as a parent have the final word in the life of my children. I am the father of my son and my four daughters. I am not their Lord. The only person deserving and worthy of their unqualified absolute loyalty and obedience is Jesus. My job as a parent, your job, if you're a parent, is to help your children Know Jesus, prepare them to follow him wherever Jesus calls them to go, not you. God's dream for their lives, God's call upon their lives, takes priority over ours always. Realizing that can only make us better parents, better grandparents. We will be less demanding and controlling and more open to the leading of God's Spirit in the lives of our children. Think of how liberating Jesus' use of the word hate is if you come what we call a dysfunctional family. Seriously, we're all dysfunctional in some degree. Here's an invitation to free yourself from your bondage to any and every pain or label a family gone wrong has created in your life. And to discover a new source of identity and security in someone who loves you for who you are more than anyone could ever possibly love you in the world. Unless you hate family and friends, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus also means we need to come to terms with our fear of rejection. And we all know that fear, don't we? Times when we cannot bring ourselves to do what we know Jesus would want us to do or to say what Jesus would want us to say because we're afraid, what is my family, what are my friends going to think? We're afraid they'll criticize us, judge us, even reject us. Many of the leaders of the Jewish people, John tells us in his gospel, did come to believe in Jesus, to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, God's Messiah. But, writes John, because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear. They would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved praise from men more than praise from God. It is not Jesus putting up a barrier that would prevent us from being his disciples. This is about a barrier we put up, allowing our fear of criticism or rejection from family, friends, peers, or others to stand in the way of following Jesus. This is a call to freedom from the lordship of other people, freedom from the fear of other people's judgment, freedom to enter into the glorious freedom of the sons and daughters of God. Consider now the second cannot. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Again, Jesus uses extreme language to grab our attention. He does not mean we should literally walk around all day with a cross on our shoulders like Terry Pollard from Tyler, Texas, who made it his mission beginning in December of 2013 in what he believes is the calling from Christ, poor man, to carry a 75-pound cross across all 50 states of the United States. Then there is the tradition which takes place in the Philippines every Good Friday, in which devout Roman Catholics, for a variety of reasons, imitate the suffering of Jesus by having real spikes hammered into their palms, into their feet, while others drag heavy crosses or crawl on bloodied hands and knees in cities and towns across the country. I'd show you Google images, but frankly, they're gross. That, with all due respect for the sincere faith of Terry Pollard and the Filipinos who willingly subject themselves to real crucifixion, is not what Jesus meant to say. Jesus is saying that following him will inevitably lead to some form of suffering in our lives. Clarence Jordan, author of the Cotton Patch New Testament, was given the red carpet tour of a fellow pastor's new church building one evening. With great pride, his colleague pointed out the rich imported wood of the pews, not quite like this, and uh, anyway, <laughs> the luxurious decoration of the whole facility. And then when he stepped outside where a spotlight was uh, shining on this huge cross on top of a tall steeple, his colleague said to him, "That cross alone costs us 10,000 bucks." To which Jordan replied, "Brother, you got cheated. Times were when Christians could get them for free. Following Jesus, we can expect to endure the same sort of hostility that he did, the same resistance and ridicule that he did. Following Jesus, we will also suffer with him as he suffers with the world. The world's pain is Jesus' pain. And followers of Jesus are called to be his hands and feet in alleviating that pain. Jesus' pain for others becomes ours. His heart for others gets transplanted into our hearts. As his disciple Peter wrote, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, you participate in the sufferings of Christ. The only people who ever literally carried crosses in Jesus' day were people who were on their way to their own death. Literally. Literally. That is, this is Jesus' way of saying that we need to let go of our claim to be in control of our lives and our destiny. To carry your cross means you choose to die to yourself, to being Lord of your own life. You make the decision to let Jesus lead you wherever he may lead. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer The well known German pastor and theologian, executed by the Nazis near the end of World War II, reminds us in his book, The Cost of Discipleship when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids them come and die. Can you think of a more liberating word? One of the biggest illusions from which we all suffer in our lives is the notion we are in control of our lives really? How often at the end of each day, never mind each year, each month, or each week, each day do you look back and you wonder, wow, how differently that day had gone than you had anticipated or planned. What a crushing weight gets removed when you take yourself off the throne of your life. Think of how freeing it is to admit, but in your heart of hearts, you know that you're ultimately not in control. But that in Jesus, you have a Lord who is in control, not just over your life, but over all of life, and not just in life, but also in death. So that you and I can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is freedom. Freedom from anxiety over our lives. Freedom from fear of death. Then there is the third, and in some ways, the hardest cannot. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Give up everything. Have a huge garage sale, sell all the contents of my home this coming week, withdraw all my savings, all my investments donated to Willoughby Church or World Renew? No. The word used for give up is Jesus' extreme way of saying surrender your claim to. The things we have, our stuff, our money, put claims on us, can become our idols, can keep us from fully following Jesus. Jesus means to say, unless you surrender the claims your possessions have on you and put all you are and have under my lordship, you you cannot be my disciple. Juan Carlos Ortiz pastor and author from Argentina wrote a little book called Disciple, in which he reminds us that what this means. Jesus, he writes, has everything we could ever want. Joy, peace, healing, grace, security, eternity, everything. Everything. To show what it will cost us, Ortiz imagines the conversation between Jesus and us, and it goes like this. We say to Jesus, okay, I want what you have to give. How much does it cost? Well, it's very expensive. Do you think I could buy it? Of course, anybody can. But you say it's too expensive. How much is it? It costs everything you have, no more, no less, so anybody can buy it. Okay, I'll buy it. What do you have? Let's write it down. I have $10,000 in the bank. Good, 10,000 dollars. What else? I have nothing more. That's all I have. You have nothing more? Well, I have some dollars here in my pocket. How many? I'll see. 30, 40, 50, 80, 100, 120 120 dollars. That's fine. What else do you have? I have nothing else. That's all. Where do you live? I live in my house. The house, too. Do you mean I must live in my car, then? You have a car? I have two. Both become mine, both cars. What else? Well, you have the house, the cars, the money, everything. What else? I have nothing else. Are you alone in the world? No, I have a wife, two children, your wife, your children too. Two? Yes, everything you have. What else? I have nothing else. I am left alone now. Oh, you too. Everything. Everything becomes mine. Wife, children, house, cars, money, clothing, everything, and you too. Now. You can use all those things here while you were living on earth, but don't forget, they are mine, as you are. When I need any of the things you are using, you must give them to me, because now I am the owner. Give up everything. Jesus means to say that unless we transfer ownership of all that we are and have to him, We cannot fully know the joy of following him. On Palm Sunday, remember, Jesus told his disciples to go to a village and they would find a donkey nobody had ever ridden, which they should untie and they should bring to him. And if anybody asked them, what on earth do you think you're doing? Jesus said, tell them the Lord needs it. So they found the donkey and as they were untying it, its owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. The unnamed owners, disciples, let it go. All yours. Give up everything. The question is, how can any of us know that we have surrendered everything we have to Jesus? The owner of the donkey made it obvious Is there some objective way to measure that you and I are doing the same? I think there is. The Bible gives us one way to objectively measure whether or not you have surrendered everything or are willing to surrender everything to Jesus. Our giving. That's something I suspect we're probably pretty good at as a church, reading the bulletin this morning anyway, and the numbers. The Bible talks about tithing as a minimum, giving away the first 10% off the top of what you earn in terms of dollars and cents. If we are doing that and doing it joyfully, that is a sign that we are serious about surrendering everything else to the lordship of Jesus because that is and has always been the primary intent behind the Bible's teaching on tithing and giving. Yes, we need to give. Because there are so many needs in our community, in our world. Because we want to be part of making the justice and goodness of the kingdom of God a reality in our world. But you and I need to tithe. You and I need to give mostly for our own soul's sake. We need to do so. So that we do not make an idol of our money and our possessions. We need to. Because it is impossible to serve God and mammon. And that's why 10% is always only a guideline. For some of us, for our soul's sake, we need to give away far more. Unless you hate. Unless you carry a cross. Unless you give up everything. Hard words. Yes, at least on the surface. You wonder how wise it was, and it is for Jesus to put it in such extreme terms until you realize what Jesus is all about. Like the builder in that first little parable, Jesus is building not just any big and beautiful building that you can imagine, but a new humanity in a new creation. Like the king in that second parable, Jesus came to wage war, to defeat the powers of sin and Satan and death and win us and win the world for his own. Like the salt in that third little parable, if we are not salty, we will be good for nothing. Jesus knows we will not join him in building his kingdom, not join him in the battle against sin in our lives and in our worlds. We will not be healing salt for our community if we keep giving in to all the other claims on our hearts and lives. So hate, carry a cross, give up everything. Hard words, yes, but words meant to set us free, to do what he calls us to do, to fully enjoy all he came to bring, and give a sense of purpose and meaning both for life, this life, and the life to come, and a new and intimate relationship with the one who made us and who loves us more than we could possibly imagine in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us by your Spirit To remove any and every barrier that would prevent us from following you, from being disciples of Jesus and being his hands and feet, to be building in this community, in the places where we live and work and study, the new creation that is your promise in Christ and for which Jesus, as we will remember in the coming season of Lent,